Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, For those of you who may not know me, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, one of the things that I am responsible for is our local and global outreach efforts. And a few weeks ago, we had two teams come up here and we prayed over them before we sent them out. We sent a team to Kenya and a team to the Philippines. And I thought I'd just give you, before we jump into things, a brief update on how those teams went, because I know that you've been praying for them. And then we go, well, what happened? Uh, and so uh, Mel and I, my wife Melanie and I led a team to Kenya, a small team of five, to work with InStep Children's Home. Uh, Jeff and Carla Pasisi, who used to live in Kennewick, uh, sold all their things, they got quit their job, sold their house, moved to Kenya, and uh, God ended up dropping a baby on their doorstep, and that was the beginning of InStep Children's Home that now has over 200 children that they care for regularly. Right before we left, uh, Carla was burdened the fact that they have 28, 27 or 28 students who are high schoolers, and in Kenya, when you go to high school, you go away to boarding school. And they leave the safety of the children's home to go to boarding school. And they're spread across 12 or 13 boarding schools. And Carla felt like uh, it would be great if our team could go visit these students. And they didn't know that we were coming. We didn't know we were doing it until just a day or two before we left. But it was an amazing blessing to be able to go and come alongside these high school students who were away from home for the first time, many of whom are struggling, to just be able to encourage them, speak life into them, pray over them. A couple of them, there were some issues that Jeff and Carla and the social workers didn't know about that we were able to intervene with and to be able to assist with. And then we just had some time to really encourage Jeff and Carla as well. And it's been years since they've been able to have visitors come and be on site. So for us to be able to be there and be in their world was a tremendous blessing and encouragement to them. They're going to be here later in November for a few weeks. Hopefully they'll be able to stop by South Hills. And if you haven't met them, get a chance to greet them. So thank you for praying for that team and for the impact of that team. We also have three ladies right now in the Philippines wrapping up their time there. Uh, They've been doing what's called church partnership evangelism, coming alongside a local church there, helping engage and equip that church for evangelism and discipleship. And they saw 160 people make decisions for Jesus Christ this week. Isn't that awesome? Because you prayed and because you gave and because you supported, there are 160 new believers in God's kingdom. Not only that, on Saturday, after the celebration service, they had a baptism service. uh, And even one of our team members, uh, Becky, was baptized on Saturday in that baptism service. So they're wrapping up their trip there uh, right now. When they wake up Monday morning, uh, they're going to spend some time with Clifford and Jennifer Lubin, who are a young family that South Hills Church has sent out. They went in August to the Philippines. They're going to spend the day with them them before flying home on Tuesday, the Tuesday that will never end for them. Uh, So do do continue to pray for them as they wrap up their time and they get back to the States and readjust to life here. Uh, So thank you for praying and supporting those teams and what God is doing around the world. And for each of those team members uh, and others who've gone on short-term teams and served at different times, you come to a point where you're like, I think I'm supposed to do this. I don't know, God's nudging me, the opportunity's there, and it's a bit of a crossroads moment. We all face crossroads moments at different times where there's a decision ahead of us and we have to think through and pray through what is it we're supposed to do. 
Anybody who knows Melanie and I very well knows that we love movies. Uh, If you come to our house, you'll see uh, quite the selection of DVDs. Back when DVDs were a bigger deal, um, people often called us Stark Buster, and they'd check out movies. And it's fun to watch different movies and see heroes, see protagonists come to this point where they have to make a decision. Uh, One of uh, an easy one is Peter Parker. Young Peter Parker, he's kind of a wimpy kid, quite frankly, uh, and he gets bit by a genetically altered spider, then he loses his Uncle Ben, and he's faced with a decision. What's he going to do? Watch with me. I missed him a lot today. I know. I miss him too. But he was there. I can't help thinking about the last thing I said to him. He tried to tell me something important and I threw it in his face. You loved him. And he loved you. He never doubted the man you'd grow into. How you were meant for great things. You won't disappoint him. crossroads moment what's he gonna do he's gonna become spider-man he's gonna be an avenger he's gonna step into what god's called him to do not god called him to do right i know a little stretch there and as we look at our text today and we're on this journey with moses today is where moses hits that crossroads moment so he grew up in egypt he was born to hebrew parents hebrews were the slaves in egypt Uh, There was an edict out that all children, Hebrew children, had to be killed. Uh, His parents, in faith, put him in a little basket out in the Nile River so that the princess would find him. She sends him back to mom and dad to be weaned, to grow. He spends maybe 12 years with mom and dad, understanding his background, his culture, his history, being equipped. And then around age 12, he goes to uh, Pharaoh's house the palace he gets the best education around everything that he could ever need again continuing to be equipped and equipped and equipped around age 40 he sees one of his own people one of the hebrews being abused by his taskmasters by the slave masters and he takes action he's impulsive he jumps in and he's going to make a difference in the wrong way and in the wrong time and he kills the egyptian taskmaster and buries him The next day, he discovers he's been found out, not only by his own people, but by Pharaoh himself. And he runs, and he flees, and he heads to the desert. And he spends 40 years in the desert, 
He gets married. He has some kids. But even in the desert, he's being equipped. Given skills that he's going to need in the future. Equipped for 40 years in Egypt. Equipped for 40 years in the wilderness. And now he encounters God in a new way. And God extends an invitation to Moses. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 3. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Uh, First couple chapters give the background that we just talked about. And we're going to look at Exodus. We're going to start with Exodus chapter 3 verses 1 to 10. Would you stand with me as we read this passage? Exodus chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you were standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are an equipping God, that you are a caring God, that you are a God who delights in using broken people. And Lord, as we spend a few minutes looking at your word, looking at the challenge set before Moses, I pray that we would insert ourselves into that story, that we would see you as a God who calls, who equips, and that we would evaluate what it is that you're asking us to do at our crossroads moment. God, may it be your word that is declared this morning and not mine. May your spirit have free reign in this building this morning. And most of all, God, may your name be glorified here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Can only imagine what it must have been like for Moses. Forty years he's been out in the wilderness, caring for the sheep, wandering with the sheep. Same day, different poo on the ground, you know. And then one day, he encounters this miraculous sight we see in Exodus 3, verse 2. 
angel of the Lord appeared to him flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. We got lots of tumbleweeds around here, right? Can you imagine if a tumbleweed ignited on fire by itself and was never consumed or burned up? That would be a sight to see, wouldn't it? And I can't help but think that God was making some tremendous symbolism here by taking an insignificant bush and by His power and His majesty and His glory ignited it on fire to produce a miracle. That it was a insight as to what He wanted to do with Moses. Take an insignificant guy wandering around out in the wilderness with his sheep, stick his power and his might inside of him, light him on fire, and use him to be a miracle. And he wants to do that with you. You might be sitting here going, I'm insignificant, I'm nothing, God couldn't use me. But you put, take God's power and his spirit and you put that inside of you and light that on fire. For the whole world to see. Look out, out, Mark. You're right. God lit the bush on fire. God wanted to light Moses on fire. And God wants to light you on fire. I also don't want us to skip over verse 7. Verse 7 is pretty crucial. Uh, Scott ended his message last week highlighting this. But it said, the Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. Don't miss that. Because you might have entered this building this morning suffering, hurting, wounded, feeling like nobody sees you and nobody cares about you. And I want you to hear this morning that God sees you. God cares deeply about you. He cares about your pain and your heartache and your suffering. He wants to heal you. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you joy. That's why he came. That's why he sent his son Jesus. All of Scripture, the Old Testament's all building towards this character, Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one. The start of the New Testament's all about his life, and the rest of the New Testament looks back at him. And everything else in all of history since then has been looking back at this person, Jesus. 100% God, 100% man who sees you, who loves you who gave his very life on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you can have hope, so that you can have joy, so that you can know in the midst of your pain and suffering that the God of the universe is with you. And maybe your crossroads moment today is finally surrendering to him. If you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sin and to come into your life, today could be that day. At the end of the service, we're going to have some people down here up front to pray. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to introduce you to a personal relationship with Jesus because he sees you and he cares about you. And after God sets the scene with the burning bush and telling about how his people have been suffering and he wants to set them free, he makes an invitation to Moses in verse 10. 
you're the man. You go. I'm sending you. And Moses hits his crossroads. What am I going to do? God's extended an invitation. And I've been there. I mean, let's face it. He's in a good spot, right? He's got a wife. He's got kids. He's got his flocks. He's got his family. Life is good. Why would I want to mess that up? Why would I want to go try and set thousands of people free from the oppression of Pharaoh and lead a bunch of whiny people through the wilderness? Seriously. Why me? And he starts to make excuses. I mean, I've been there. I've been at the crossroads. I've questioned the transition. Mel and I were our first ministry, the ministry we thought we were going to be lifers with. Ten years in, we had a crossroad. What are we going to do? I don't want to change. And God, you haven't shown me yet what's next, so I certainly don't want to step into that. Hold on. We had a great life in New Zealand. And God said there's this church in Kennewick. Okay, what do I do, Lord? A year and a half ago, we have a good ministry here, and God came and said, I got something different for you. Sitting at the crossroads, sitting at that point of transition, what do you do? You listen, you pray, you lean in. It's interesting, it's a very different Moses today than 40 years, 40 years ago. 40 years ago, he was a man of action, impetuous, let's get this done, boom, we're going to make it happen, we're going to kill a guy. Now, I don't know. And as Scott has been so good at telling us, your past does not define you. The mistakes that Moses made in the past, they don't define him. They don't determine his future and what God can do with him. The, past, the mistakes I've made in the past, they don't define me. It's Jesus in me that defines me. But you got to deal with your past if God's going to use you. You might have trauma. You might have history. You might have sin. You might have, need to make, have some restoration in relationship. You might need to get some counseling. you got to deal with your past so that it doesn't define your future. So that God can use you in the future. Uh, young adults have been going through a, a study by Louis Giglio, the um, Goliath must fall. And Tuesday night, I had the privilege of leading that study, and it was on rejection must fall. We got to deal with who we think we are or who other people have said we are and understand that's not who we are, that it's God who determines who you are. He's the one who gives you your identity, He's the one who equips you. But here's Moses in the wilderness with a burning bush, and God talking to him out of the bush. And God extends him an invitation to join him in this grand narrative of saving the the Israelite people. And what does Moses do? He makes excuses. Been there? Right? You can resonate, can't you? Moses makes five excuses to God that we're going to unpack and look at. Exodus chapter 3, verses 11. 
is his first excuse. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? First question we ask, isn't it? Who am I? I'm a nobody. I got no skills. I got no background. I got no training. I'm just a nobody. But again, in God's kingdom, you're not just a nobody. Because his power and his spirit lives in you. He's the one who's called you. He's the one who designed you. He's the one who's equipped you. He's the one who's prepared you. He's the one who's calling you. Look at uh, God's response to Moses. Moses says, who am I? And God said, I will be with you. Period. That's all you need to know. Right? I am nobody. But with God, God's on my side. I will be with you. All you have to look at is the New Testament, right? Who did God choose to take his message to the world? It's not the people you and I would have chosen. Ragtag bunch of fishermen and outcasts and guys with tempers and tax collectors and all sorts. It's not the people you would have chosen or me. But what did he tell the disciples? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you. I love this pep talk that Paul gives to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, I want you to think of Paul speaking to you and I at South Hills Church. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Amen? Uh, That's me. I'm not wise by human standards. Not many were influential. I can't say I'm influential. Not many were of noble birth. Anybody of noble birth here? No? Okay. We'll keep going. Uh, But God chose the foolish things of the world. You, I'm foolish, yeah, to shame the wise. God chose the weak thing. I'm pretty weak. The weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so no one may boast before him. Hey, South Hills Church, you're not very strong, you're not very influential, you're kind of foolish, you're not very wise, but that's just what I'm looking for. Because when God lights you on fire and you change the world, who gets the glory for it? He does. Who am I? I'm nobody. But God said, I am with you. So don't make excuses, church, because God has equipped you. Don't make excuses because God has equipped you. The first excuse, who am I? The second excuse found in chapter 3, verse 13. Moses said, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? What if they ask me what your name is? What if they ask? What if they ask me more about you? What if I go and tell people about you, Lord, and they start asking me questions about theology and the Bible? And I don't have the answers. Transparency here. This is one of my fears. Yes, I'm a pastor. Yes, I'm a missionary. But I'm not a theologian. I am not a scholar. I am not good at debating. 
I don't know all the ins and outs of Scripture. And one of my fears is when I go to share Christ with somebody and they start asking me questions I don't have answers to. What am I going to do? But one of the things I've noticed is that more than my head knowledge about this book, what moves people is what God has done in my life and through my life. Nobody can argue with that. Nobody can argue with how you've seen Jesus work in your life because they weren't there. We don't have to have all the answers. We do need to be pursuing Jesus, seeking to know him more, and then sharing what he's done in our lives. Look at God's response to Moses in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Basically, he's saying, I don't need you to defend me because I am God. Do you you realize that? God doesn't need you to fight for him. He's big enough to fight for himself. His spirit is big enough to reveal himself. He's not asking you to have all the answers. He's asking you to be faithful, to step into what he's called you to. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Peter writes, Always be prepared to give an answer to the arguments people have. Mm-mm. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give what? The reason for the hope that you have. You don't have to be able to parse the Scriptures. You have to be able to share the difference that Jesus makes in your life. Why do you trust Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you love Jesus? Now, I'm not saying don't study the Word. We need to be in the Word. That's how we grow. That's how we learn more about Him. That's why we understand what He's asking us to do. That's why we come on Sunday is so we can connect with God and connect with others. And as we connect with God, He reveals more of Himself to us. But don't make the excuse that you don't know enough. Because God's written a story on your life that he wants to use to share with other people. So don't make excuses because God has equipped you. Who am I? What if they ask me what your name is? What if when I tell them, they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me? Look at Moses. Now he's got a third excuse. Chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? I mean, sure, God, I'm willing to go. I'm not sure what I'm going to say, but you told me to go. But what if when I start telling them about you, they don't believe me? I think in this day and age that we live in, that's so divided and so divisive, We feel like we have to win an argument. We have to convince people of the truth. That's not our job. Our job isn't to win an argument. Our job is to be faithful. Our job is to love. Our job is to demonstrate grace and hope. Because God, again, is able to defend himself. He's able to reveal himself. The fact of the matter is, you and I, we don't change hearts. That's not my job. 
The Spirit's job is to change hearts, not mine. Look at God's response to Moses. Then the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? You might think, well, that's pretty insignificant. Well, it was. It was a staff. What if they don't believe me? (laughs) No, that's not where we're going, Mark. That was was 40 years ago. We're not going to hit it. We use the staff. We use what God has given us. The skills, the training, what he's put in our hands, that's what we use. And God spends the next few verses showing Moses how God's going to work. What's that in your hand? He takes the staff, throws it on the ground, it becomes a snake. Huh. Now go pick up the snake. Really? Pick up the snake by the tail? You think so? Pick up the snake. What happens? It becomes a staff. Hey, take your hand. Stick it in your cloak. He brings it out of his cloak. His hand has leprosy. That's not good. Take your hand. Stick it back in your cloak. Pull it out. Now it's healed and whole. And if they don't believe those two signs, go grab some water out of the Nile, throw it on the ground, and it'll become blood. Did Moses make any of these things happen? No. The power of God did. Moses was just faithful to take what he had, what he'd been given, and use it for God's purposes and God's glory. God was wanting to work through Moses. Moses didn't have to do the work. Moses had to show up and be available, be willing. And God would do the work through him. The other interesting thing about this whole dialogue is God knew he was sending Moses into a no-win situation because he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And Moses would just show up with his staff in his hand and be used to God. Because it's not Moses' job to change hearts. It's not your job to change hearts. It's God's job to change hearts. Paul wrote again to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God, he's the one that's been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Your job is to plant. Your job is to water. Your job is to be available, to not make excuses, to go when God asks you to go, and you trust him to make things grow because that's his job. So don't make excuses because God has equipped you. But Moses isn't done making excuses, is he? Chapter 4, verse 10. What about my slow tongue? Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant. And I can get, you know, he's probably starting to tick God off at this point, right? Pardon me, God. I know I'm pushing the limits here. Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. God, I don't talk so well. God, I'm not a good teacher. God, I'm not very strong. God, I don't have a lot of wisdom. God, I don't have fill in the blank. And we make excuses for our shortcomings. I can't do it, Lord. But who is it that made Moses' tongue? Who is it that created you and designed you from the foundations of the earth? This is Melanie's story. My beautiful bride. She was told by her stepfather 
that she was worthless and would never amount to anything. In our first ministry, she was told that she would never be able to teach adults. If you've hung out with my wife at all, you know that she likes to make up words. In Kenya, we decided it was a molobulary, vocabulary, molobulary, melanieisms. She gets extremely nervous every time God asks her to speak, which he has done more and more in recent years. And yet it's those very things that she would consider a weakness that would be an excuse for her not to do it that actually endear her to the people that she's teaching and sharing with and that God uses for his purposes and his glory. Don't excuse your weaknesses. That's what God told Moses. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? God did. Who makes the deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, because I will help you know what to say. I am with you. I am going to use you. I'm going to multiply you. Look at what Paul said about himself. Because I look at Paul and I go, man, here, here's a spiritual giant. The Apostle Paul, if anybody had it all together, if anybody was the right guy for the job, it was the Apostle Paul. And look what he says about himself. So it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquent, eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. He goes on and says... For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and in trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. I'm like, wait, wait a minute, this is Paul. That can't be true about Paul. But Paul, he said, I could make the same excuses you could. But I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. God wants to use you if you will depend upon Him. As a staff, we uh, go through some different books together. Right now, we're going through a book called The Confident Leader. And a couple weeks ago, at the start of the chapter, there was this quote. And I was stunned by this quote. It said, If God should take his hand off my life, my lips would turn to clay. I'm no great intellectual, and there are thousands of men who are better preachers than I am. You can't explain me if you leave out the supernatural. I am but a tool of God. And I thought, what a powerful quote. Do you know who said that? You think about not an eloquent preacher, I'm not really good with words. Billy Graham said that. You can't account for me outside of the power of God. Would that be true of all of us? The supernatural is at work in us. So don't make excuses because God has equipped you. But Moses isn't done making excuses, is he? One more. God's answered his every excuse. Each and every one of them, he's countered. And he says one more. But, but God, please send somebody else. Anybody. Anybody but me. Please, Lord. Been there? Surely you can send somebody besides me, God. Surely there's 
somebody else. And in some ways, this false humility actually shows his pride. I like my life. I like where I'm at. I don't want to get involved in that. It's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. I, I just don't want to do it. And God retorts once again, this time, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. How often have I caused the Lord's anger to burn against me because of my stubbornness to step into what he's calling me to do, what he's asking me to do? And finally, he relents. What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you. How many opportunities have I missed out on? Because I said, God, send somebody else, not me. I actually had a conversation with somebody this week. We were talking about this. And they expressed to me the regret that they have. I had challenged them to go on one of our Kenya teams. And they just didn't want to do it at the time. And they tell me now, he told me this week, he continues to wonder what opportunities he missed out on because he wouldn't go. God has equipped you. He's called you. He's prepared you for this crossroads moment, whatever that moment is. It might be that you need to show up on next Sunday night and hear about opportunities to serve, like Scott was talking about. You know God's been nudging you and you're saying, I'm, you're making excuses. And it's time to stop making excuses. Maybe your crossroads moment is you know that you're supposed to take the next step with this church and get to know this church and see if you're ready to commit to this church. And your crossroads moments whether you're going to show up first hour next Sunday and come to starting point so you can learn more about who South Hills is. Maybe your crossroads moments about your finances and I know it's tough and you look at the future and you go, oh, I'm not sure. And God's prompting you saying you need to start giving. You need to give your tithes, your offerings back to me. You're like, oh, I'm making excuses. Maybe your crossroads moment is that neighbor, that relative, that coworker that God's been prompting you that you need to have a conversation with and you're like, oh, I don't know. I want to tell you that God is calling you. He's equipped you for this moment. Paul told the church at Ephesus, he told them, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. You, you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance. This crossroads moment you're standing in, God prepared that for you before the foundations of the earth. His invitation to you to join him in what he's doing in this world, he prepared before you were even a thought. And this is your time. I love the story of Esther. Esther, the, the Jewish woman who became queen in this foreign empire, who was positioned in that place and in that time. And she had a crossroads moment. And her mentor, her Mordecai, came to her and he said to her, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? 
Who knows? But you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. God's been equipping you your whole life, preparing you for this moment that he's inviting you to step into. So please, friends, church, don't make excuses because God has equipped you. And let's face it, when we tell God our weaknesses, we're not telling him anything he doesn't already know, right? I mean, he knows how weak I am, how ill-equipped I am. And yet he still invites me in. And he wants to stick his power and his spirit in me and light me on fire and use me for his kingdom purposes. And remember, the will of God will never lead you where the power of God can't equip and use you. Amen? So three questions for you as we wrap up here. The first is for those of you who are sitting at your crossroads trying to decide if you're actually going to give your life to Jesus. I want you to know that he sees you just like he sees the Israelites. He loves you and he cares about you. And you might have been making excuses as to why you can't give your life to Jesus, why you're not going to surrender to him and become a Christ follower. And my challenge to you today is quit making excuses because he's just waiting for you. Will you receive him? If you are a Christ follower, what is your crossroads moment? We just talked about several of them. Maybe it's serving, maybe it's giving, maybe it's having that conversation. Maybe it's joining that life group. Maybe it's going on that mission trip. What is God asking you to step into? And then the third, what excuses have you been making why you won't? And will you give those excuses to Jesus? Will you lay them at the cross? And again, you can come up afterwards. We'll have people up here, and we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to pray for you to have the power to overcome those excuses, to step into what it is that God's asking you to do. But don't make excuses because God has equipped you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you don't bring us to a crossroads moment that you're not willing to walk through with us, that you're going to be there to equip us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to empower us. Lord, may we remember when you ask us to join you that all we need to know is that I am with you, you say. That you're going to be with us in it and through it. You're going to give us the words to say, the tools that we need. You're going to empower us and you're going to use us and we can give you the credit and the glory as we see you work. Help us to stop making excuses, Lord, and to step into what it is that you're asking of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Think God can't use you? Think he only uses perfectly qualified people? Take a closer look. Moses was not a great speaker. Jonah ran from God. Jacob was a liar. Noah got drunk. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair. Jeremiah was depressed a lot. Solomon was rich in wisdom, but poor in lifestyle. 
John the Baptist was just plain poor. Timothy was too young. Abraham was too old. Lazarus was dead. Sarah was barren. Naomi was a widow. Gideon and Thomas both doubted, and so did Sarah. Peter lacked self-control. James and John were self-righteous. Paul had a short fuse. Well, so did Peter and Moses. Actually, lots of people did. God's army isn't perfect. It never has been. It's the march of the unqualified. Get in line.